Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is our hand break off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Joined this week by uh, our, our first lineup, I guess I could say, the first three. I suppose this is uh, James McNicholas, Amy Lawrence, and Mr. Lee Dixon. Hello, guys. Hey. Hello, Ian. Hello. Hello. Nice to speak to you. We, now, we, we did have a bursting mailbag this week uh, in an electronic sense, and quite a number of people contact us uh, this week. Uh, we will get into it at some point. One of the emails comes from David M. Blumstein, who asks, how's Lee's knee coming along? Lee, you were... You know, fairly sharp with Teo, our producer, in the sound check, I would say, uh, when he asked you about your cycling and you said, well, I haven't done much. My knee's not very good. I guess that answers the question, right? Well, I just expect him to know a little bit more about his subjects, to be honest with you. He's sitting in the back room there with his feet up and a cup of tea and uh, he's taking no interest in my <laughs> knee whatsoever. And he should and he should know that over Christmas it was too early to go on the bike. So, But I'm back on the static bike now. And thank you for asking all those people out there. Uh, seven weeks post-op today, actually. So it's my seven-week birthday today. And it's doing brilliantly well. It's the best thing I've ever done. I can actually walk without looking like you, Stoney. So it's really good. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. I can walk. <laughs> I you walk seen, regularly. Have you seen yourself walk? <laughs> I, I, no. I'll end, I'll end it there. Thank you. Um, anyway, David, I mean, that turned out not as I was expecting, to be honest with you, but at least it answers your question. Uh, also from the mailbag, by the way, David Terendi from Worcester, Maine, in the United States of America. Uh, David just says, hello, love your podcast, especially when Lee Dixon is on one of my favourite gunners of all time. Uh, David, we get him when we can, to be honest with you, when he can limp to a microphone and get, and, uh, and get on, then we get him. But it's very nice of Dave, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Dave. Lovely. lovely. Now, uh, Mesut Ozil took to Twitter and he picked her best 11. The goalkeeper was David Ospina, surprisingly. So we thought we'd asked the question, uh, who's the best Arsenal keeper of the post-Dave uh, Seaman period? Uh, there have been a few. James, I'll come to you first. Um... Uh, do you know what? I'm going to say Jens Lehmann, actually. I, I know that he had his moments, but he did go a season unbeaten and he was a hell of a character. Um, it was marred by a couple of incidents, but I think all in all, I liked him. And he came back as well, uh, about 40-odd, which I enjoyed. All the best keepers. John Lukic did it too, came back to Arsenal, was about 40, played a couple of games. So I've got a soft spot for him forever, I think, because of that. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jens as well. Amy, what about you? Yeah, I was toying with Chesney, um, mostly yes. in the sense that I think I was imagining Chesney coming back uh, from his loan and not actually signing uh, for Juventus. And I, I think he's turned into and always was going to turn into an extremely good goalkeeper. But also, if you ever have the 
luck to spend any time chatting to Wojciech Szczesny. He is what you might call a proper Arsenal man. Uh, he really, really gets it. He really feels it. He really mm. hates Tottenham. All the things that you need to tick. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's incredibly passionate about it. And I'm a bit old-fashioned in that I do like the idea of having people in the dressing room who, a few of them anyway, who are kind of got that real Arsenal core. Um, but I think on balance, I'd have to say Jens as well. And uh, just in terms of that kind of intense winning character that he had, I always thought the story of what happened in the dressing room at White Hart Lane after winning the league was so indicative of that special character that he had. And for those of you not familiar with the story, it involves um, essentially Jens Lehmann and Sol Campbell having a furious row, uh, even though Arsenal just won the league because of the penalty that had been conceded a little bit uh, uh, foolishly, probably by uh, by Jens, uh, when he got wound, got himself wound up by Robbie Keane um, in the last couple of minutes of the game. Uh, and otherwise, obviously, the 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 league would have been cemented with a win at White Hart Lane, which would have been perhaps uh, even sweeter. Especially Sol wanted that deeply, so I think he had a bit of a go at Jens and and Arsene. Wenger, as I think famously said that if somebody had walked in, they wouldn't have be- wouldn't have imagined it possible that this team had just won the title. There's a furious row going on, um, but in, in a funny kind of way. Apart from the craziness of it, it was a bit sad for Jens because it did tarnish his own sort of feeling of celebration. He didn't really feel minded to go back out there and jump around with the rest of the team in the same way because he had this uh, this sense he was being blamed for something. So it's kind of interesting when you think of the bigger picture psychology of like elite sports people and what matters. Yeah, and I think I think indicative of why that team was so successful as well. That that story there, Lee. I guess I guess it's hard to live up to the keeper, isn't it? To uh, to Dave Seaman, really, when you've had him behind you to have anyone else. Uh, but but if you had to choose one of the post Dave Seaman uh, keepers, who would it be? Um, it is difficult. It's difficult to see past John Lukic at the time because he was I never didn't think we needed debut team at the time but he turned <laughs> out to be turned into one of my best mates so I can't say uh, too much about him he, and then he just went on and on and on so to be the one of the best goalkeepers in the world at the time and um but I think I agree with Amy I, I like Chesney I like I think if he'd have stayed or as you said come back I think he's turned into a really top class goalie um so, having said that, Jens Lehmann probably he's up there. But I, I, I then go back to being a player. I, I seriously don't think I could have played in front of Jens as much as he's got that winning <laughs> spirit and that <laughs> and that sort of you know yeah I want my, I want I want players to want to win and everything. But he drive me mad behind. You know we we were lucky. I was lucky. I had Dave Seaman who was the calmest. Uh, influence behind us he had trust in us and we had trust in him and never heard him you know it was like right get on with what we're doing I mean if he's shouting at your left right and center and then sometimes running past you you'd be like where are you, where are you going you know it was it would have drove me mad you know I, I like uh, Schmeichel's the same I mean brilliant but I, he was noisy I, wasn't he yeah I don't like that I don't like that from my keeper I like my keeper to be assured and and strong but but quiet Strong silent and, type is what you're yeah, talking exact, about. Exactly. So I, I would probably go, I'm not saying, you know, I've not played in front of Chesney. He might be a shouter, but he seems a little bit 
more calm and, and I love the stories about Amy's talking about him, you know, being a, you know, doesn't, doesn't like Tottenham and that ticks a big box for me. Yeah. Yeah. Can, um, we, can we just assume before we leave this topic of conversation that nobody would have gone for Ospina in the <laughs> best Arsenal goalie of the, since 2013 or, or is anyone tempted? I, I, no. <laughs> no temptation no, from this not end, no. for one solitary second. I, maybe, haven't, seen, maybe I missed... haven't seen Mesut's team. I, I've missed that. So he, he I just want to read it to you. Some yes, good please. players, by the yes, way. Hang on. Read it. Go on. He went Ospina in goal. Sanya at right back. Koscielny and Mertzaka at centre-half. Kolasinac at left-back. <laughs> I think oh, a bit I mean, of personal I've... bias might have come in there. Yeah. Um, Kozula and Ramsey, which is sort of fair enough, I guess. And then he went Gnabry, Ozil, Alexis, uh, Aubameyang. I like that he put himself in as well. It's a sign of self-confidence, isn't it? He's, it's not that he's lacking in that, really, is he? Let's be it's fair. The only chance um, he gets, he's the only chance he gets a game if he picks Very himself. true, oh, yeah. It's oh, very... Oh, 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 oh. It's, no, you're right, though. You're right. And I'm. by the way, I'm not disagreeing with you guys in any way. Jens Lehmann would be the one. Although, again, I also have a soft spot for uh, Chesney. And I'm pleased that Fabianski's having a good time at West Ham as well. He does yeah. look like a decent keeper. But when he played for us, I, I have a very strong recollection of him running 40 yards off his line in the FA Cup final mm. when, we've, when we've gone 3-2 up against Hull, I think it is. And then uh, he comes running off his line. And we're, from our high vantage point, we all thought, you ain't getting that, mate. You're not getting that. And the guy went round him and, and missed the open goal. It was quite a difficult angle. But I mm. do like Lucas, and I think he's turned into a decent keeper. But, yeah, no argument. Jens Lehmann uh, from all of us, really. Um, now, The Athletic is still running its special offer uh, throughout January. Sign up for less than a pound a week. All you have to do is go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. Uh, we'll be talking about what our team have been writing about uh, in part two, where we'll, be, where we'll also be joined by Art de Roach. I've also had a note, <laughs> by the way, from um, <laughs> from Tayo saying, no one is choosing Runnison, are they, by the way? <laughs> we were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. We wanted to talk about the makeup of the squad and how do the players we have and the players that we're rumoured to be interested in uh, fit into that. Um, Lee, I'll start with you. It is a hard balancing act, isn't it? Arteta, he was burdened with picking up a bit of a mess of a squad and mm. we know there's going to be a bit of a clear out, but this is a four transfer window job, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think we said that when... Uh when he took the job and, and probably more emphasis on <clears throat> him settling down and getting used to managing for the first time, but also a, a huge um, juggernaut that is Arsenal Football Club. So he can't, he can't just go in and start sweeping out everybody. And cause he, you've got to, although he knows, he knows the club and he knew some of the players, he's still got to see how those players uh, interact in training. You know, as you've heard me say, time and time again about the players, he, the coaches and managers watching players during training Monday to Friday yeah. and getting an essence of what they're all about. You learn so much about, you you, you learn about the real players, um, the real character of the players in training because you get to talk to them, you get to understand what their 
their fears are, their weaknesses, their strengths, because you're seeing them every day and you can get to actually create relationships. And that's you can't start chopping and changing before those relationships are set. And I think we've seen that with, you know, what's happened with Ozil, um, you know, and, and other players that he's made decisions on certain players as he's gone along. And now he's in a position, you know, with another windows here that he's kind of looking upstairs going, you know, who can I have? What, how much money can I have? And based on the fact that where Arsenal are financially, he's, there's still huge shackles. Um, well, he's tied time down by that. So he, he's now got to get rid and replace with, with people who are better, which is not, it's not that easy. He's lucky. I say he's lucky. The club are fortunate that they've got, you know, a, a nice batch of young players coming through that have actually made some sort of impact in the team. So that relieves a little bit of the pressure, but to rely just on them right now, it's, is a huge, a huge ask. Yeah, I mean, on your point about uh, if players are doing well in training, that's what that's what he sees every day. Willian must be brilliant in training, if that's the case, because it doesn't seem to be happening on a Saturday afternoon or whenever uh, whenever we play. I mean, I was going to ask you, Amy, what needs to change. I think quite a few of the I don't want, dead wood seems a bit harsh for some of the players, but really quite a few of the dead wood they'll be leaving in the summer, right? Socrates, Mustafi, Kalasinac has uh, has headed off. Um, these are these are things that he had to be that he had to do, right? I think the question is if they'll be leaving uh, in the summer or sooner, um, and I don't know how much work is achievable in this window here, but. Uh, I think that Arsenal know full well which handful of players uh, they would welcome if a deal uh, if of any kind, even if that means compromising far more than they would normally uh, can be cut. Just because of the size of the squad is so uh, bloated and I think very difficult to manage. I think when you have too, you know too many people around, and that by its very nature includes. Uh, a, a greater number than anybody would wish for who pretty much have not not a great chance of playing. That's really hard, I think, for any leader to create that kind of unity, to create that kind of environment where all the guys know that, you know, I'm going to be ready even if I'm not a first name on the team sheet. I, I'm going to try my best in training because I might be able to impress enough. If there's an injury or a situation arises, I'm, I'm ready. But there's just too many people around that think creating that that inner harmony and that togetherness that you ideally want to generate as much as you can within a squad. That's almost been impossible, I think, for Mikel Arteta. Yeah. And because there's such a range of, uh, I suppose, not just personalities, but the conditions of, of, of the, the players in terms of where they see themselves in the squad, that makes it really difficult. So you've got, obviously, people like Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe and the youngsters who are hungry and desperate to impress and you've got a few players who are um, maybe new to the club who are trying to find their way and you compare say Kieran Tierney who has come in and it didn't happen instantly because of injuries and so on but has become um, as soon as sort of fitness permitted a player of huge importance um, to the way that the team feels about itself and plays and then you have the sort of Pepe William types who it's not really happening for, um, uh, you know, for, for the time they've been in the club. And then you have the slightly older generation who are really not involved and who will be on their way out as soon as it's arrangeable. That's a bit of a mess, really. So I think 
the 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 more um, pruning can be achieved in this window, the better. And I almost wonder whether uh, uh, Arteta would favour a situation where he might even find himself short of a player or two. But knowing that everybody he's got is is on side, whether I don't think that's achievable at, or been very achievable recently. I mean, one of the targets. I mean, we talked about Buendia uh, last week, but um, Ibrahimovic is another target, and we've had um, Seth Sprague. Sprague, I think it is, from uh, he's written to us. Uh, given Arsenal's rumoured interest in signing Eve Basuma from Brighton, how do you see him fitting into the team alongside a player like Thomas Partey? And then he also says, and what is signing officially, finally in brackets, spell the end of Granite Xhaka's Arsenal career? Now, James, me and you were communicating over Twitter the other day about how well Granite Xhaka played uh, in the uh, Newcastle game. Changed the game, really. He did. I mean, I... I'm wary of going overboard on that simply because... <laughs> yeah, be very, be very wary because I'm standing by. Because Lee's back, basically. Yeah. But also because he, he came on, you know, uh, for the latter part of a game against the Newcastle side who tired certainly as we got into extra time. And, and I think he stood out mainly in contrast to what had come before. I think we had Willock and Elneny on in midfield and neither of them really were particularly progressive in their passing. Shaka did at least sort of change that. I, I do think though you have to be wary with Shaka of kind of ever fully writing him off. I mean, every time you do, he ends up back in the team by hook or by crook. And I think that's because Arsenal don't have enough quality midfield options. And behind Thomas Partey, he probably is the second best midfielder we've got at the club. And until that situation improves... He's going to keep getting picked. Uh, I think the Basuma link is a really interesting one. I went to the game in Project Restart where Brighton beat us 2-1. He absolutely kicked Arsenal all over the park. But in a way where if you're a Brighton fan, I mean, he would have been your man of the match by an absolute country mile. He doesn't pull out of any challenges. He's got incredible work rate, relatively tidy on the ball too. I don't think that's a position that Arsenal are looking to buy somebody necessarily in the January transfer window. But come the summer... I think it's a really interesting name and he is the right kind of profile because Amy talked about this kind of squad, which is sort of, um, we've got people at the extremities, you know, we've got young guys, relatively inexperienced, then we've got people over 30, probably on their way out the door. And what Arsenal don't have is players in that mid-20 range, you know, between 24, 27, people who are in the prime of their career, they've got a bit of experience, but you know you can bank on them for the next five years. That's where this squad's actually really lacking. Uh, and Basuma, you know, maybe it could be one of those. Yeah. Um, Lee, I wanted to ask you about luck and, and how much of a part it plays um, in the manager's career. I mean, the mm. fact is, I don't know if Mikel Arteta would have dropped Willian and maybe dropped, um, I don't know, yeah. David Luiz, or uh, if, if uh, they hadn't been hit with COVID and bought in, um, say, Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, do you think he's been lucky or do you think it was part of the plan? Um, probably a bit of both. I think he would probably be thinking um, about making some changes. Uh, we don't know that, and he was forced on him a little bit. Um, but you know, is the, the luck comes with having talented youngsters or standing in the wings, and them coming in and actually taking their opportunity. And and that's you know there is a bit of luck in that because you know some kids can as good as they're going to be at the time when they get picked they could be not quite ready or the, the occasion could get to them i think the fact that there's no fans in the stadium certainly has has helped some of the youngsters around the league make debuts and and make little positions in teams because there's no crowd pressure 
and so they've got an easy run into or an easier run into first team football um i think that's been a, a huge benefit um but you know that that that's sometimes you know you can go through all the big managers have gone on to be huge successes and 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 mentioned times when they've been a bit lucky and you thought well how did that happen and the run of the ball or just players hitting form at the right time it's got nothing to do with the manager by the way you know all of a sudden somebody starts playing coming out of a slump and starting playing better and that clicks with the guy he's playing who's playing next to him and he goes oh you know I, I might look at Ray Parle and go wow Ray's coming out of a bit of a slump and he's put three great balls in and we scored two, two goals and so the, the the sort of evolution of a team during the season and the ups and downs, a manager's kind of going along with that, holding on to the reins and trying to guide. But there is a, an element of, uh, of of the stars aligning at times and, and you just hope that the players coming in can take that opportunity and they've, they've done that. You know, we can look at their, their recent results and, you know, I, I said at the time before he went into uh, Chelsea, Brighton, West Brom, if he loses the next four and then the FA Cup, he loses the next four games, he's gone. You know, there's an opportunity that for the for the club to go. That is not good enough. That's we've got to make a change, because Brighton would have gone above us. You know, Chelsea was a bit of a free hit because you know, if you lose to them, you go fair enough. But then you lose to West Brom as well and then get knocked out of the cup. Is, but he's he's done the opposite of that and won all four. So well done. Um, you know, churn another four out now, Lee. Could yeah. I ask you how much of a dilemma it is for a manager if you find yourself in that situation like Mikel Arteta is now where he stumbled upon this formula which mm. has worked thanks to the kind of energy and fearlessness and um, yeah. of, the, of particularly some of the younger players at the expense mm -hmm. of some of the older players. Mm -hmm. Now, the easiest thing I think generally for a manager to do, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is if you want a, a you know less of a headache uh, and an easier life, is to maybe pick some of your experienced guys. To otherwise, they're going to come knocking on your door, giving you a hard time. Whereas younger players, if they maybe drop out having played some games, won't yeah. give you that much of a headache. Mm. So, do you think this is a? It feels to me like quite a big moment for Mikel Arteta as a young manager learning his way what do I do now do I stick with Emil Smith-Rowe or do I still have to give Willian another chance do I bring David Luiz straight back in but Rob Holding's been doing really well do I bring Gabriel back in when Mari has come in and, and yeah. been very composed it feels to me like it's the decisions he makes over the next couple of games will tell us a bit about him well I think I think you're right I think the decisions he makes over the next few games will tell you something about him moving forward as a coach and a manager and how much that puts him in a good stead in five, ten years down the line when he, he, he think he looks back at this moment and goes, Do you know what? I stuck I stuck the, the senior boys back in too soon. Yeah. Or or too late. And that's all about learning your trade, as you said. But the difficulty with and this will be proven, you can go back to all nearly all young players making, you know, an impact in a first team coming in is leaving them in too long and, and relying on them to go, oh, you know, um, Smith Rose, the new Dennis Burkamp, leave him there because he's going to be brilliant. <laughs> and 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 the yeah. fact of it is that, that at some point, and it might be, it might be 
you know, in a month's time, it might be next week. There will be a dip in form because young players can't sustain the the intensity normally of of that type of football for long periods of time unless they're used to it. Saka's been playing, um, you know, been playing a lot, and so he's kind of getting used to it now. But I think to rely on on Smith Rowe for too long might be a bit of a mistake. But it might not. So. It's, but... it's, Lee, sorry to interrupt, but don't you think that he would have got a bit more of a pass than the fans maybe a few months ago before we went into that run if we'd have played the kids? Because we'd have gone, you know what, you're a new manager, you don't trust the, the guys who let us down under Unai Emery, let's play the kids. And and I think a lot of the fans would have would have been a bit more understanding of something like that. Yeah, that that's all good and, and, and well um stony but if you go if you do that and you go right i'm going to give the kids a chance and then they go out and they get battered four nil four nil four nil then you're 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 in yeah. charge of a, of a huge organization that is looking at every single move you make and you're judged instantly so it's a brave massively brave thing to do but you're always and that's why managers make decisions that the us spectators and supporters go go well why has he done that why does he leave the kids in or why does he do that why is he do that? it's because he knows better because he's in in amongst them during the monday to friday and he sees them in training he'll see the first signs of tiredness of maybe a little bit of lack of concentrate all that stuff that we don't see you know i've been there i know that i've seen players going oh he's just about to go over a cliff edge here and the fans are going why why is he dropped so and so and i'll say to yeah. my mates he was dead in training he's like he's, he needs a rest and people go we well, played well last week and it's like yeah. you just you've there's all that going on and also also there's the the, the need and sometimes the 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 um the leaning towards experience kind of gets you a little bit more sometimes not always but you've just got somebody in there who's been there done it if you as long as you trust him and that's the big important thing do you trust him to go he's back you know david louise he's back or as jacob he's been out of the team and you just need a bit need a bit of know-how and the know-how takes precedent over the the young exciting kid sometimes and vice versa well, on that very subject, James, uh, we had a we had a question from Manzi Karegi, um, uh, who asked: Beyond his quality, is there a place for a striker like Oba? Not only in Arteta's football, but in modern football, it seems we have to play him because he's he's our main signing, and we you know gave him a lot of money. Whereas if he was more versatile, we can include him in different plans. Uh, Love the show, by the way. He said, "Thank you very much for that, Manzi." But the question. I mean, it's a perfectly valid question. Do you think there's been a point in the last few weeks where, if where if Martinelli was fit and firing, there's a there's really a um, an argument to put him in the team instead of um, of Aubameyang? Well, yeah, I do think there's an interesting sort of I'm not going to say problem, an interesting situation developing at Arsenal where in Aubameyang and Martinelli, I do think you've got two players who want to operate in in pretty similar spaces. I think arguably they're both at their best, kind of going into that inside left channel, breaking into the penalty box from the flank. So I think that'll be an interesting one moving forward. But I, I, in response to the question, I do think Aubameyang, he does give you a degree of flexibility because he can play from the left, because he can 
play from the middle. I mean, out of, out of push, he can play on the right-hand side, although he's never done it particularly well for Arsenal. I think he does enable you to adopt different shapes, different settings, different systems. And uh, I think there is room for him. Of course there is in modern football. I think his form this season obviously is a long way short of what we expect. But I think it's really important to contextualise that and look at you know a finisher playing in a team that has not been creating chances. And we are starting to create them now. And granted, he probably hasn't scored as many as he would have liked in the last couple of games. But I think it will take time for that confidence and that sharpness to come back. Uh, but I, I really am optimistic that Aubameyang is going to have a much better second half of the season than first half, especially if Arsenal continue this recent run of good form. Yeah, and it is also worth saying the only reason we're in the, the, we're in the Europa League is because of uh, Aubameyang really scoring the goals that win us the FA Cup uh, last season. Number 10 uh, is also um, maybe a, a problem at the club, I guess. I mean, Emil Smith-Rowe has been fantastic uh, fantastic the last few weeks. Lucy Spratt has emailed us <laughs> in a simple question. It just says, Willian, why? Um, <laughs> Lee, uh, no, actually, you know what, Amy, I want to come to you uh, about Willian. No, go to Lee. <laughs> no, go to, go to Amy. <laughs> well... Did, all right, can I ask all of you, did anyone feel a little bit sorry for him running around against Newcastle the other day? Because he's obviously badly out of form and he hasn't become a bad player, has he? Or has he? Lee, I'm going to come to you, all right? No, I, listen, um, you don't become a bad player overnight, no. But there is, you know, feeling sorry for somebody. I've never feel sorry for anyone in bad form because we all have it. And it's like when you are... Oh, Poor you, I'm playing okay, you know, put an arm around someone, yes. But you, you still can affect a game. If you're playing poorly, you can still be brave. You can still, as a senior player, you have to be uh, brave. And that, that doesn't mean sticking your leg in and trying to no, no. trying to tattle someone like I did on David Ginola on that YouTube clip that you sent me. <laughs> oh, um, by the way, if anyone hasn't seen that, you have to look at Lee Dixon's tackle on David Ginola. The, uh, are you embarrassed? <laughs> I think you're a little proud, to be honest with you. Lee walks, he doesn't even look at David Ginola lying there on the ground. You said, what did you say oh. today when you came in? You were a little bit sad, not for long. Bit. I was a little bit sad for him because it just what well, how the heck I didn't get a purple, let alone a, yet a red. <laughs> it should have been a purple card for that. Yes, VAR, VAR may um, have stepped in, but anyway. I, no, but going back to being brave, it, it's about him accepting the ball and actually being positive. And if he loses it, fine. Then you know, but getting it and doing nothing based on his wages and his yes. experience and his and his standing in a in a squad of players where there's young players looking at him. That's all he has to do. All he has to do is be brave. And then as a kid looking at him, go, well, at least he's having a go or at least he's trying to take somebody on, you know, but just by by passing backwards and sideways and not being in the game in that respect, that's not good enough. So, yes, he's not he's not a bad player. Of course, he's a good player. But every time I see him not be brave, he starts to lose a little bit of that goodness that he's got and and his effectiveness in the game at the moment is non-existent. Amy, would you like to add anything to that? Well, it's just funny. I got it. Like it's one of the differences between you and me, Lee, it's like, you're like, I never feel sorry for anyone. <laughs> oh, I sometimes feel sorry for people. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I feel very mi like I've got mixed emotions because it's a pretty horrible watch. And uh, it is. I can't say that, uh, but what do you feel sorry? What do you feel sorry for him for? Well, I tell you what it is. I think I, 
Okay, I think sometimes, um, and yeah, I don't think how much you're getting paid is necessarily a factor, although everyone makes it a factor. But I think people can have, for whatever reason, you know, just a, a bad time where things aren't going for you. And you, you'd like to think everyone would try their care. absolute darndest to turn that around. But, you know, really it might be... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just hypothetically speaking, this is completely not from a point of any knowledge or anything. But I don't know, maybe you've got a family member you're really worried about because of COVID or maybe you've got things going on away from football that you don't know about. And I think we're allowed as humans sometimes to... No, you. Yeah, but the it. question. The, sorry, Amy, but, but the question, I, I, the question was. The I'm not question making excuses because it's no, driving me mad. Yeah, no, mm. the question was involved around playing football. If you start to throw in mm. social stuff going on on the outside, we take mm. we take this podcast and we change it completely round, and we we're not we're talking about footballers and the, and the fact that he's in and are out of form or he's got things on his mind. I can't I can't let myself think about that. I've got to look at what I see and yeah. go. Yes, the money does make a difference because if you're getting paid that amount of money, the least you can do is be brave on the be ball. Brave. That's all. Be brave on the ball. Lose it every time. But at least somebody, at least I'll go, well, you know, he's in bad form. He keeps losing it. But to, to lose it or give the pass away and, and pass it backwards and, and not affect the game, that's not acceptable. But I would also add that I think if there is other things at play and someone's having a difficult time for whatever reason, there's a bit of that on the manager because the manager maybe shouldn't be picking you if you're yes, not having absolutely. stinker after no, stinker absolutely. after stinker and he has got options. And I think there is some of this where I look at Mikel Arteta and I don't feel like it's... I can see why he's tr he might be trying to play him into form because he wants him to succeed because it reflects well if the guy that he brought in and he wanted to bring in is succeeding. But on the other hand, if it's, he needs if him, it's Amy. horror he show... Needs him. He doesn't need him if he's playing like this. I mean, it was the other thing, by the way, uh, um, the other two players who played against Newcastle, who I wanted to ask you about, James, uh, Joe Willock and Reese Nelson. I mean, Reese yeah. Nelson came in very late on when uh, Gabriel Martinelli uh, got injured in the warm-up. But it was a big chance for them, and neither of them, they both wanted to do well, but neither of them stepped up. And, and it sort of feels like it's starting to happen a bit too often. Or is that me being a bit judgmental? I think they really shone, obviously, in the Europa League group stage. But I do think you've got to bear in mind that's against a certain calibre of opponent and then Newcastle, a Premier League team. Uh, and, and I do think they came up short. You know, I don't think they played particularly well. I mean, something I was going to ask Lee, actually, was have you ever been in that position where you're not expecting to play, someone gets injured in the warm-up and suddenly you're on? And does that affect your preparation? Is that a possible explanation for Reese Nelson looking a bit under par the other night? Um, no, it's not happened to me, but it happened to somebody you know very well who'd already had two beers in the bar upstairs before the game <laughs> and then got called down to be on the bench. Um, I think it was at Old Trafford, um, but that was quite hilarious when they came down into the uh, into the dressing room. <laughs> was it Anfield? Yeah, it was Anfield. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, obviously. I, I know very well, actually. <laughs> Wow. That did that did tickle a few of the players before we went out. I could I could tell <laughs> well, you maybe Reese had sunk a couple of pints before the game. No, but the thing about Reese the other day was, you know, the first minute he took someone on, went inside, and had a shot. Didn't really trouble Dubravka, but I thought, go on then, because I I don't know. I feel quite invested in Reese Nelson and Joe Willock, yeah. and and maybe that's why the disappointment is is felt so keenly when they don't do what I'd love them to be able to do. Yeah, I think that's fair enough, Ian. I think we we know how talented Reese Nelson is, and 
You know, it's a really good point about that Lee made about Willian, you know, about being brave on the ball, you know, where do players show personality? When they're especially when they're attacking players, you know, what you're asking of them is different. And I think Nelson initially did that. He started really well against Newcastle, but it just didn't happen to him. My feeling on both players is um I think they need to go out and play football. I think they need to go probably have a loan spell somewhere because I just think that, you know, coming in for the odd Europa game, the odd cup game, I don't think they're building any rhythm. I don't think either of them could be said to really be learning a position. I think they're both quite difficult to pin down right now. And I think, you know, some experience elsewhere, ideally in the Premier League, would be incredibly beneficial to them. And if the worst thing that happens is it gives puts them in the shop window and they become someone Arsenal can sell for a pretty good premium as young English players, so be it. We'll have a quick look ahead to Palace, uh, Crystal Palace coming up on Thursday night. Uh, we haven't beaten them for three years. I remember a very rancorous game where um, uh, Squadron Mustafi uh, let uh, Zaha turn him and score what turned out to be the winner. Um, Lee, when you used to play Palace, they, they were um, it was guaranteed six points, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit cannon fodder, wasn't it? It was, it was, yeah, I used to look, we used to love going to the Sellers Park because it's always got good memories. I don't think, I can't remember losing there, I think. Um, Amy will probably correct me but um, we always went there and the, the fans were always brilliant both home and away we always took a, lo- a load of fans down that side and our, our kind of right back position for me they were always there um, I used to enjoy playing there pitch was always pretty rubbish but that match my uh, my shank sort of brought it back into play when it hit a bobble so um, it, I quite like that yeah uh, so it's really, and it's a place that we don't like to particularly go right now. So, no, um, strange old game. But you want to try going there by public transport, by the way. I've <laughs> got just... no tube down there at all. It's unbelievable. No, it's um, just hell to get to, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do a quiz uh, oh, at this gosh. point. We've got a Lee Dixon '90s quiz. Can I not time. be in it? No, you're you're going to try and answer the questions. Oh. Lee. And then uh, we'll see how how much of a rampant egotist <laughs> you actually are when it comes to your own career. Um, so here we go. This is the Lee Dixon 90s quiz. Arsenal won their first game of the decade at Highbury on New Year's Day 1990. What was the score and who were the opponents? Bonus point if you can name any of the uh, scorers that day. New, New, New Year's New Day. New Year's Day 1990. Uh, right. If this is how the quiz is going to go, <laughs> right? I have, I have literally, I don't know, I don't know who we, who we played. I don't know what score it was, and I've no clue what scorers. So that's okay. question number In one. In fairness, Ian, do you know what you were doing on New Year's Day, nineteen ninety? I was watching Arsenal against Palace. That's what I was doing. Four-one, <laughs> just to let you know. That's what I, I remember where I was. Oh, well, you gosh. scored a goal, Lee. By the way, did I? You scored a goal. Alan Smith got two. Tony Adams and Lee Dixon were the other scores. You can't even remember. How many goals did you score that you can't remember them all? 20, In- I, t- I scored 28 and I have no clue that I scored against Palace. Ever. <laughs> Amy, would you have known that one? No. No. Oh, see, that's how hard it is. If Amy doesn't get it, then I don't get it. <laughs> I, uh, the only true. clue was the only clue was in the Lee Dixon quiz. That was the you know that was going to give me the educated guess element. And the fact that we've just been talking about Palace as well. But you know what? Uh, yeah. doesn't matter. Uh, Alan Pardew scored for them, by the way. Uh, is it over? 
No, no, no. There oh. are another 45 questions for you. <laughs> in the summer of 1999, club legend Lee Dixon was given a testimonial against Real Madrid. Can you name the Arsenal summer signing who scored in the 3-1 win? <laughs> You've got no chance at any of these. Franny Jeffers. It wasn't Francis Jeffers, no. Oh. Even in a testimonial. Uh, anyone oh. else? Could, uh, that's Amy. throw in... Oh, God, Davil James, Suken. you sounded keen, yeah. Not, not Devil Suken, no. Could it have been Thierry? It wasn't Thierry Henry, it was um, Stefan Maltz. Oh, oh come on. I know. Oh, of course you're Seriously, you, Stoney, you need to get out more. I oh, didn't you can't, set oh, the you question. Oh, you can't go. I can't. You can't go out. One, I can't. Two, I didn't set the question. <laughs> Thank you. But other than that, you're right, I do. Number three. And Lee, Stefan Maltz scored in your testimonial. This is momentous. Uh, do you know, now you've said it, Against I remember Against Real Madrid. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they weren't totally on top of their game. That game, I don't know. Who scored? Right, last question, uh, Lee, you'll be relieved to hear. Who Thanks. scored Arsenal's first ever Premier League goal in a 4-2 defeat to Norwich City on the opening day of the 92-93 season? I was there. Say that. What's the question again? Who scored Arsenal's Who's first sc- ever Premier League goal in a 4-2 defeat to Norwich on the <laughs> opening day of the 92-93 season? Is it Lee Dixon? It's not Lee <laughs> Dixon. <laughs> no. No, it's not. Lee? Uh, uh, I'm going f- 92 no, I'm going for uh, Alan Smith. <laughs> no, it's Steve Bold. I am sorry. James, I didn't come to you, oh by the way. God. I would have I said figured. Steve Bold, of course. Oh, <laughs> no. Gutted. Lee, you got 0 out of 3. Oh, I'm going to ask you three random questions about your life that when you, that you, that you won't remember and neither will yeah. anybody else. <laughs> yeah, when you did a gig at the Harrow Comedy Club in 1992. Name the, the one heckle? person that yeah. was there. <laughs> My dad, it would have been, by the way. Oh, that was fun, though. I think we should do that every week, don't yeah, you? Yeah, brilliant. I might get <laughs> we have right. to rotate who we talk to. We have good. to do You've the got questions. A, a week to revise now, Lee. Yeah, just have a look at, you know, a Lee Dixon sort of catalogue. That's not the word. I'm looking <laughs> yeah, there's for loads. Of, there's loads of them lying around <laughs> my house. <laughs> I don't know, a scrapbook or something. Your wife might have kept the cuttings, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, um, that's it, Lee. Thanks very much to Lee Dixon. It's been a pleasure. Brilliant. brilliant. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at the time. Yes, this is the uh, handbrake of podcast, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic, uh, Lee Dixon. Fabulous, as always. He's gone away to revise on his career, so we can ask him more questions next week. By the way, we should say thanks to the online Guna uh, for that uh, quiz. Uh, the, dig- the digital version, um, which is the that of the long-running uh, fanzine sold outside the ground. And let's be fair, anything... Uh, like that could use a bit of help at the moment. Uh, we're joined now by Art De Roche. Hello, Art. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Doing all right. Thank you very much. As you have joined us, um, I'd like to ask you about the piece uh, you wrote about uh, Nicola Pepe. I mean, we were just before, in part one, uh, we were talking uh, about how William needs, needs to step up. Uh, some of the senior players need to, um, uh, to do a bit more, and they've been shown up a little bit by some of the younger players. Um, I mean, it's the same for Nicola Pepe, isn't he? Sort of third choice out there now, is that right? Yeah, it's quite weird considering how things kind of happened with him and Willian at the start of the season because 
if if we remember back to that time, Willian was starting ahead of him after his I well, I, what I thought was his best performance in an Arsenal shirt in the FA Cup final, and to go from there there to almost having to prove himself again with Willian now having to do that again with Bukayo Saka playing at right wing, it is quite a strange situation, I guess, when you look at it. And uh, for me, looking back at the Newcastle game, I didn't think he played terribly, but no. um, it's just <laughs> when when he, he gets into those positions, he, he just, I think it's the decision-making that's just holding him back a little bit. And where, where you have Bukayo Saka, whose decision-making is almost always excellent, uh, it just makes it hard <laughs> to think that that he's going to uh, get his place back anytime soon. James, that's the basic thing, isn't it? He's not Saka. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's difficult to compare players directly. But if you look at the ones who are shining in our attack, people like Smith Rowe and Saka, I think a lot of what they do is characterised by that very efficient uh, economic style of play, you know, one touch, two touch. Whereas with Pepe, I'm simplifying a bit here, but it often feels like five touches and then back onto his left foot again to decide what he's going to do with it. Um, I thought he was decent. I thought he was okay against Newcastle. I I just think his finishing wasn't quite there. Um, But it's a tricky position, as Art says, for him now because you've got Willian competing for that place on the right wing. Saka has kind of unexpectedly made a really good go of it on that side. Uh, and maybe the football's going to be a little bit harder to come by. But, you know, something, a point Art made in the piece that I think is true, Arsenal will probably need Pepe at some point this season. You know, people like Smith-Rowe and Saka, they can't play every game. And having options and talented options with productivity in that, in someone like Pepe, is going to be really useful to Mikel Arteta. So the difficulty is going to be striking that balance. How do you stop him becoming rusty by not playing? How do you make him feel involved? How do you make him feel important? How do you keep his confidence up? Uh, it's a tricky task because with that that price tag hanging like a millstone round his neck, you know his confidence has, has has wavered over the past eighteen months. Amy, is it something? Is it something about wingers, players who play out wide who don't produce, and therefore you just basically don't see them and they don't do anything? And especially with the price tag that we've got, that we paid for him, maybe maybe people are a bit more disappointed because of that. I don't think it's a winger thing. I think if you're a centre-half and you're making rickets or if you're a midfield player and you're getting caught or, or not not helping the team or not battling, you're in, your stock is going to fall just as much. Um, I just feel that it's difficult that he's never, t- to my mind, had a real good run. No. And considering it's uh, a season and a half uh, that he's been here... Um, I think it's a pity and I'd like to see what would happen if he was granted, you know, half a dozen games. Some of them might be better or worse than others. But to to really find some rhythm, I think if you're a kind of off the cuff kind of a player like he is, finding your uh, mojo within the, the team framework, doesn't. it's probably not that easy if you, you're suddenly in and then you're suddenly out again. And um, that would be one thing where I would feel I'd like like my personal judgment of him would feel more assured if there was a run of matches. You also but I'm not sure piece. he's going to get them at the moment. No, I'm, I'm not sure he is. You also write a piece, Amy, along with James, uh, called The Curious Case of William Saliba. James, we've spoken quite a lot uh, about William Saliba, and I said this to you on the podcast last week. 
you know, all my my belief and hope in William Saliba has come from a conversation we had last year on this podcast when you talked about him. Now, he's now gone out on loan. Uh, is that right? And this is probably the best thing for him, yes? Well, certainly, yeah. And it should have happened sooner. He's wasted a good few months of his football career, I think, not playing any football at all. Um, he's joined a Nice team of beset with defensive problems. They're missing a couple of their most experienced defenders and they've got a lot of young defenders there. Uh, and actually, he goes in as one of the more experienced ones, given the football we had with St Etienne. And they're looking to him as to be a kind of leadership figure in their defence. I, I saw his first game and I felt for him enormously because, you know, Nice were struggling and you could see this was a very ragged back line. They're playing with a back three and they're sort of all over the place. But I saw at the weekend, he, in his second match there, he was named man of the match. And I was so pleased for him. I just think what an important milestone that could be it must feel like a foothold in his football career which just must have felt like it was kind of spiraling beyond his control recently and you know he's got something to build on there and I'm, I'm really pleased that he's got this low move I'm pleased too that Arsenal offered a little bit of clarity uh, when they sent him out on loan in the kind of piece they put up on their website you know Edu was quoted in there saying this is a guy we view as important for the future and I think the club have been kind of strangely reticent in that. And I think Mikel Arteta has been a little bit evasive in some of his answers about the player, maybe because he hasn't wanted to touch on some of the personal issues that have affected him. But I think it is important that you know he is told you are part of the future here and that he's made to feel like that. Because I think, given the way things have panned out from over the last few months, you could forgive him for feeling yes. quite regretful about the way yes. things have been going. Quite. I mean, Art, you know, you... You've obviously followed the development of uh, of young players quite closely, and and as Amy and James said in the piece, they haven't really handled the development of Saliba particularly well, have they so far? No, I think the real mistake was the Europa League registration. To be honest, because when you look at the players that were given chances in that competition, like Smith Rowe and Balogun, they proved that they were worthy of those chances. And I think had Saliba been given those opportunities, he would have done that too. It's just the fact that <laughs> the decision was made and you kind of have to stick with it once it's been made. So I think hopefully that's behind them now where, where it is. And now he can try and kick on again with Nice and get some real rhythm. And that kind of speaks to the point Amy made earlier about finding finding the groove. Even though it's a dis- different position, I think that's going to be just as important for him as it is for Nicola Pepe in the uh, second half of the season. Did you see that tackle he made in the last minute of uh, of the game yeah. for Nice uh, on the weekend? Great tackle. It was tackle. a terrific, uh, perfectly timed, impeccable, after a long run to catch his uh, striker, which basically saved a point for Nice. They would have lost again. And um, he's been named man of the match now twice in a row for Nice. Admittedly, the team does look shaky, so, you know... It, but he's come in and is, is already, even in quite tricky circumstances beginning to make an impression that's really positive James I know you wrote a piece about possible creative midfielder targets mm-hmm. we go deep into stats territory in this I must <laughs> yeah. admit I, I read it and then I had to read it again I mean I mean it's about targets isn't it did you come to a conclusion by the way to be honest no and I think this is the difficulty that Arsenal have um, you know what we did is we used analytics and stats to kind of model uh, the types of creative midfielder targets that Arsenal could look at in this window. And the list is not 
long. Uh, and I think there is a sense within the club that although they would love to add a player in that position, if the right guy isn't out there and the circumstances are very trying, they just won't do it. You know, having committed money to players who haven't worked out in, say, Willian or to an extent Pepe, I think there's a real uh, cautiousness about doing that again. So it, it's, it'll be fascinating to see, you know, do they find a short term solution? Can they bring somebody in on loan? I mean, this is, you know, we're only a week on or so, aren't we, from Arsenal taking out a hundred million pound loan uh, from the Treasury. So I think we have to bear in mind the financial situation at the club too. Um, I'm not anticipating a big, you know, snazzy number 10 signing <laughs> from Arsenal this January. Oh. Sorry. I just feel the disappointment around the world listening to us. All right, we're going to have a, another game because the first game went so well. We thought we'll have another game. And it's called, well, we're thinking about calling it Whose Arse Is It Anyway? Uh, it might get called uh, and Random Arse Generator, but let's see. Basically, the rules are this. Our producer, Tao, has messaged me the name of a player and you have to say one fact or thought about them completely off the top of your head. We'll keep going round until someone pauses too long and has to drop out. The name has now been sent to me, and it is Nelson Vivas. Amy? Leeds, you bastard! <laughs> uh, James? Played every outfield position, as far as I'm aware. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm going... Um, I know it's Leeds, but I'm going Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Art? <laughs> um, <laughs> this was before you were born. Yeah. Um, could that be the fact? That he's... Yes. I think that's perfectly fair. That's perfectly fair. Amy, Nelson Despite Beaver. his playing career, turned into rather a good manager. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think he is assistant or has been assistant to Diego Simeone at uh, Atletico. My random fact is that our producer, Teo, We'll never let this go, <laughs> this Nelson Vivas thing, because it's something we talk about regularly at uh, at football and at the pub. So my random fact is is Tayo essentially. Uh, that I'll... is stretching it. I think you're out, Stony. Uh, no, really. <laughs> it's I've never talked about anyone. I've never talked about Nelson Vivas as much as anyone as with Tayo. But okay, fair enough. Why well, don't you should have you? some more facts about the you talk about Tayo? Oh, I don't have any facts about Nelson Vivas. <laughs> I don't even know where he's from. Um, Argentina. Next. Is, ah, okay. Go on, James. <laughs> any more? Uh, he signed for Boca Juniors. It's open. It's open now. You can just uh, come in. I I'm don't out. think he did sign for Boca Juniors. Oh, oh okay. James, Maybe I'm out in that out. case. James, uh, oh, <laughs> have you got any other random I, facts about a player you probably never heard of before? I, I think I'm out. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Amy, a, a very, very worthy winner. I would be upset, actually, Amy, if anyone else won one of these quizzes, to be honest. Oh, but... come on. Uh, I'm No, I'm sure we're going to make a good contest of this. <laughs> if it, uh, Listeners out there, if you think that this should ever be done again, do let us know. <laughs> yeah, please. If, however, you think it should be consigned to the bin of handbrake of history, no. also let yeah. us know. No, I, I, I quite enjoyed it in a, in a perverse way. Or indeed, so. you could privately message Tayo with a suggestion for a player of the future from the That's random true. arts generator. That's true. Oh, nice idea. Okay. Uh, let's have a song from each of you before we go. Art, let's start with you. I'm going to go with uh, Kid Cuddy, Wiling Cause I'm Young, because I think 
I've forgotten to to praise the young players with my songs in the last few uh, editions, so I'm going to go for that one. So much goose, I let the fries soak it up some Tuesday weekly, the legend of the rager Most have witnessed the cut in the club Don't have plain pat By the way, I'm, and that's, I, I also went for the young um, uh, theme there I got We Are Young by uh, Supergrass But um, what about you, Amy? What you got? Uh, after four wins, I thought I was going to go soul to soul Keep on moving uh, James, you can't top that, but I'd like to hear what you were trying with. Don't think so. But it was David Bowie's uh, birthday this week. And of course, we play a Premier League game on a Thursday night, unusually. So I went for Thursday's child. Do you know what? That's a tune as well. Um, that's it for the Handbrake Off uh, podcast, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Thank you to Art de Roche. Thank you to Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas, uh, Lee Dixon and our producer, Teo Papula. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Ian Stone. See you soon.